0: Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of God in Film. I'm your host, writer and Welsh matinee idol, Giles Gough. And this isn't the start of Series 5, though we will be bringing that to you as soon as humanly possible. But in the meantime, I thought you'd like a little taster of what you can expect from our Patreon page. Back in November, I was interviewed by Chick Yule on Premier Christian Radio. I got to talk about how I became a Christian and why I think film is such an important medium for having conversations about the big questions in life. If you're thinking of subscribing to our Patreon page, you can get access to bonus content like our God in Music episode, scripts for every episode we've ever done, and very soon, our extra special God in Gaming episode. Just look for www.patreon.com forward slash god and film podcast and now if that's not doable then could i politely ask you to help us out by leaving a glowing review or telling someone anyone about the show it could be a friend a neighbor or even just one of your re students in your 1a level class i hope you enjoy the interview
1: well good morning you're listening to Premier Christian Radio. That was Leland singing about worship. And this is Faith, Open Love, where we express our worship in good conversation, faith-lifting music, and by taking a hard look at what's happening around us from a Christian perspective. So this is not a time to retreat or escape from the world, but rather an opportunity to be refreshed and equipped to go back out into the world with the love of Jesus in our hearts. And just saying that takes me all the way back to 1953. Now picture a classroom filled with five-year-olds The teacher comes in and tells the children that they're all going to be taken to the local cinema to see cartoons. A special treat to celebrate the upcoming coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. The kids are delighted and begin to cheer. All except one little boy who knows his Christian duty. He gets up from his seat and walks slowly but determinedly to the front of the class where he raises his hand and makes the speech he knows he has to deliver. Please miss, he says. I won't be coming to the cinema. My family are Christians, and we don't attend places of worldly entertainment. Now, I know that's a true story, because as you might well have guessed, I was that little boy. And that's how many Christians responded to popular culture when I was a lad. Thankfully, we have a healthier appreciation of the arts today, and we've moved away from that kind of separation. But that, of course, carries its own dangers. How do we engage with popular culture without being ensnared by values that are sometimes less than Christian? Well, I'm glad to have as my guest this morning someone who might be able to help us think that through. Jowz Goff hosts and produces a podcast that looks at the world of film and asks if and how the stories they tell might shed light on the truth of the gospel. Welcome, Jowz. But before we get to all that, I want to know your faith story, how did you come to commit your life to Jesus?
0: Well, I was born into a Catholic family in North Wales in the eighties, and I was uh, baptized, had first Holy Communion. I was even an altar boy chick, and yet I,
1: I, I can't quite imagine you as an altar boy, Giles. But you I could see me in
0: you could see me in the cassock. I can rock that look, you know. Um, so we were, we were part of a Catholic family, but God didn't really seem. Real to us in uh, any reasonable way. It started to get to the point where church became something you just did on a on a Sunday, and then my mum started taking us to a church, a different church on a Sunday evening, which for me was terrible because Star Trek was on at exactly the same time, so I kept missing it. So that was it, already we we're off to a bad start, and they brought uh, my brother and sister and some family friends were sort of dragged along as well. So we had two of our friends there and it was very happy, clappy, very charismatic, nothing even close to what we were used to in terms of what a church service was looked like. And we would sort of huddle together and be like, right. We, we all hate this, right? We, this is, this is terrible. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. We, we hate this. Yeah. yeah, Okay. All right, good. And then you gradually start coming to the youth service and you start getting to know people. And, there's this gradual waning over time amongst my friendship group, where they're like, "Oh, I don't know, you know, maybe it's it's not so bad, you know." I'm like, "No, no, 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 we hate this. We all agreed. Why am I the only one that still hates it? You know?" And all my brothers and sisters, uh, my brother and sister, and my um, friends, they all sort of became Christians before I did. I was the I was the last holdout. I was furiously sitting there going, "No." And then one night, the preacher has a call, an altar call, and she's talking about hell. And, well, put bluntly, Chick, I didn't know much about hell. I just didn't know. I knew that I didn't want to go there. So my, my logic was, right, well, I don't want to go to hell. Sounds like I've got to become a Christian by what these guys understand it. Okay, I'll go up to the, to the front as soon as the song starts singing. And then, as if she'd read my mind, she said, "And you don't have to wait for the songs to start singing before you go. You can come up now." So I'm like, oh, "Well, I am doing this now." So there's 14 year old me walking from the very back of the church to the very front of the church, and my youth leader comes up at the time and he says, "All right, Charles, do you want to pray for anything?" And I say quite tentatively, "Um, I would like to get saved." And I swear, he has a smile on his face that must have been hurt in the back of his head. It was so, so broad. So that's the point I've become saved. And you know what it's like when you become a Christian? The enormity of it doesn't quite hit you for some time, does it? It's it's only after a while where it starts to kind of work into you, starts to become part of who you are. Since then, that is 25 years uh, ago this year. And... My walk with God has been—it's uh, it, not always easy. There's always there's always um, challenges, um, both inside, just in your work life, in your home life, and in your faith life. But the thing I always like to think about God is He's like a—he's like a safety net. He's he never lets me fall too far. And I'm you know you get those Christians who their faith increases when everything's sunny, or their faith increases when. When everything's terrible, I'm one of the, it gets better when it's terrible ones. I lean more into God when I've, when I've got no other options, basically. So yeah, that's a little bit about me and my, my faith.
1: The 14 year old Giles Goff giving his heart to Jesus. Thanks for sharing that with us, Giles. By the way, if you've switched on, if you just switched on your radio, well, it's 14 minutes past 10 and you're listening to Faith, Hope and Love with me, Chick, you'll hear on Premier Christian Radio. And by the way, at any point, you're free to join the conversation. So just let me explain how you do that. You can drop me an email at studio at Studio at If you you'd like to email me or you can text me on double six triple seven make the first word of your message premier double six triple seven to text me but make sure the first word of your message is premier and that gets right through to me and you can join the conversation that I'm sharing with Giles Goff anytime okay Giles so here you are for the last 20 odd years you've been a Christian but you also have a, a real interest in contemporary culture Tell us how that came about. You kind of hinted at you with your love of Star Trek when you were a kid, but how did all that develop?
0: I'll be honest, Chick, your story about the, being the little kid who couldn't go to to the cinema absolutely broke my heart. I was <laughs> thinking, no, it's okay. It'll be fine. There's probably not going to be anything that heretical in a cartoon. Oh, you know I, what, Joe's? I... It breaks my
1: heart when I remember it. And <laughs> I wonder what those <laughs> cartoons were about. But you're mm. right, it is, but but that was that was Christian thinking in many circles mm. back then.
0: Well, for me, I, I love stories, uh, I always have done, and I think being the asthmatic kid who had no hand-eye coordination meant that sport was well and truly out for me. So I would be the kind of person walking along with his nose in a book, deftly avoiding lampposts before it was cool and people were doing it with their phones. I I've love I love reading, I love uh watching TV, I love uh watching films, and that's transitioned into uh making short films or writing poems, all that sort of thing. Anything where you get to sort of share a little bit of yourself or a little bit of your perspective on something. I love, I love creating things. It's really difficult, and I love being able to sort of pick apart and and take apart a, a a film or a TV show. Those people that say, "Oh, I go to the cinema to turn my brain off," seems so strange to me. I'm like, but that that that's when my brain turns on. That's when there's so many things to take apart. And it, as that's as I've gotten older, that's transitioned into. Uh, My career, uh, I was an English teacher, English film and drama and media for about 10 years. And these days I am a writer. I write for, well, I write for Premiere. I write for um, education resources. And one of my favorite things to do is just to, to sort of find a particular angle or theory and apply it to a film and then write about that.
1: Giles I want to go back to what you said about story loving story because again going way back to my childhood which admittedly was a long time ago but there was even then a, a kind of mistrust of novels and fiction you know you could read Christian biographies especially on a Sunday Um, but you know you obviously find story so powerful what is it about story that is so meaningful so important
0: well it's the most effective teaching resource we've got basically i think like like jesus used stories all the time he said there was a man and he was looking for his lost sheep so he left the 99 and people would get then understand how god felt about their love for them it stories not only do they have a value in their own right but they are the most effective way to get a message across to something and for well, me, when I'm when I was teaching, you could talk about gender politics when you were teaching an Inspector Calls, or you could talk about uh, love and impulsiveness when you're teaching Romeo and Juliet. You could talk about you know, let's try not to kill the king, guys, when teaching Macbeth. But that didn't really come up that much. And it's just the best way I know, or anybody else knows, to really get something to stick in people's mind and it the I mean, stories can also work as a form of therapy it's being able to sort of take the things you're thinking and feeling and create them in a in a package that other people can see it's the it's this amazing idea where you have an image in your mind and you have a story in your mind and it only exists in your mind and being able to take it out and turn it onto film feels like absolute magic to me. The strangest thing I've also found as well is where I'm, I'm writing a character. We made a short film called Reset, which was all about a, a depressed artist who has a little AI uh, assistant that comes to help him. And it's only sometimes when you look at something that you realize they're talking about how they're depressed and how they feel futile. And then you go, oh, good Lord, I'm talking about myself there. That's that's me talking to me through my through my stories and I didn't realize it. So it just seems odd to me that we would... Anybody would shun them as a as a format
1: and it's really interesting to me this this growing in appreciation of story as we live in an increasingly fragmented world and I, I think too about you know again going way back to my, my youth and when I first began to to read some theology and that kind of thing a lot of Bible scholarship was all about analysing and breaking things down seems to me the great shift has been that we've, we, we've learned to see the Bible as above all a great overarching story that makes sense of life in fact the only story that ultimately, you know, brings it all together. So I think there's been a real, a real discovery of of just you know, as the world has become more broken and more difficult, mm. we, story has become for us a way of of finding some kind of sense and direction in it.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. I, and I think the other thing that comes in useful is the multiplicity of interpretations. The idea that you can read something in a different way and it's useful for you in whatever that context is one of the things i always love is when a a, a sermon says now they use this word here in this english translation but if we go back to the hebrew it actually had these connotations and it can absolutely turn it on its head the thing like i said the thing i love about a story is that it can work in different contexts and be useful to people that are centuries apart
1: so we're agreed on that. We we love stories. And I get it. Listeners at home are nodding. Yeah, I love stories too. Now, you do a podcast at mm-hmm. God in Film. Tell us a little bit about the podcast and the kind of thinking behind it and the format of the, of the show.
0: Sure. Okay. So the God in Film podcast is where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any parallels with the gospel or any other Bible stories. So, you might have already figured this out. I am the Christian in there. And my friend Phil Coleman is the atheist. And I absolutely adore talking to Phil. It's He's my filmmaking partner. We make films together. We make podcasts together. And he has a wonderful way of kind of puncturing the self-importance of Christian ease. One of the rules that we have on uh, the podcast is no Christian ease whatsoever, but occasionally it will kind of slip out. So I'll say that somebody is really on fire for God. And Phil will stop me and go on fire for God. And I'll say, yeah, it means when you're really passionate about God and he'll say, could we not have chosen a phrase that was less flammable? So it really makes you sort of question all the, um, all the things you normally take for granted. We tend to focus predominantly on what I call mainstream films. So we for the most part, we've stayed away from from films about Jesus or biblical epics or things like that, because for the most part, there's there's enough uh, Christian uh, criticism and analysis analysis to go with that. But there's not that many people looking at a Muppets Christmas Carol from a Christian slant. And that's why I felt that it would be most useful for me. The has the podcast has two audiences, as you you might have figured out. So, first of all, it's good for atheists. Because it lets them know that we're not too weird. We're not totally inaccessible and we have the similar values in a lot and, of various... and and
1: and and the we being Christians, yeah.
0: Yeah, we being Christians. Yeah. So again, there's that there's that sort of bias that you have just working in the background. And it works for Christians because it gives us cultural references outside our own little church culture. Chick, you must have taught thousands of sermons by now, right?
1: Uh more than a few, yeah. More than, more a, than a, few. a few. By the way, Giles, I'm the one who's supposed to be asking the questions here. Sorry,
0: force oh, of please. habit, force of habit. I either way, you have preachers who are listening to other preachers and they'll tell the story of the man who's in his house and the flood is coming and he gets a radio warning and he gets a boat showing up and he gets a helicopter, And to each of them he says, no I'm a Christian. I believe in God. God will save me. He gets to heaven and he says, God, why didn't you save me? And he said, well, I sent you a radio broadcast. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. Why didn't you respond to any of those? And you've heard that story. I've heard that story. I'm fairly confident most of the people listening have heard that story. And as a result, it's lost a lot of its cut through because you can start to switch off for a little bit.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I've got In defence of preachers, I've got to say, of course, that Aaron Sorkin uses exactly the same story <laughs> yeah. in, in the West Wing, Hoist by your own petard. You Hoist know, by that,
0: my own petard. Yeah.
1: You know, this is a fascinating conversation. We've got to take a break. Absolutely. Uh, but I, we'll be right back after that. You're listening to Faith, Hope and Love with me, Chick Yule, here on Premier Christian Radio. And I'm talking to Giles. Goff about his podcast God in Film and about how we engage with popular culture. Uh, we engage without being ensnared by values that are less than Christian. We'll be right back, picking up that conversation after this. Yes, indeed, you're listening to Premier Christian Radio, where the time is 33 minutes past 10. This is Faith, Open, Love. I'm Chick Yule, and I'm in conversation with Joes Goff who uh, hosts and produces a podcast that looks at the world of film. He does it in dialogue with an atheist. And that's a kind of interesting dynamic, Giles, that you and an atheist look at it together, uh, asking the God questions.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's me and Phil. Uh, we do a fun little section at the start called Phil's Facts, where he takes me through all the, the little sort of trivia about the film. And for me, I'm obsessed with reading up on trivia whilst watching a film. So... The temptation to to sort of just go on IMDb whilst watching it has to be curbed for this bit. We tend to have lots of guests as well. We've had uh, professors, uh, Lord of the Rings Extra, a Doctor Who writer, debt management charity workers. We had one Muslim guest. And yeah, we had the occasional exorcist talking to us as well. So we have a really nice fair variety of people who come uh, on the no- show.
1: Mention of the Exorcist reminds mm-hmm. me of what an eclectic mix of, of films you look at. I mean, uh, films and television programs. I'm just looking at the list Broad Church, Doctor Who, The West Wing, Blade Runner, A Muppet Christmas Carol, The Passion of the Christ, The Exorcist. I mean, that's an amazing list. So here's what I want to ask you let's mm-hmm. take just two of those two okay. very different films. Now, I can't think of two films that could be more different than A Muppet Christmas Carol and The Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that really is so something else so t- tell us how you dealt with those and, and and what you
0: discovered as you did that do you know what it's fascinating if we take the muppets christmas carol at first a good we like we like uh the the definitive muppets christmas uh, definitive christmas carol as far as i'm concerned we had uh, our friend julia hall who was like a super fan coming on to talk about it and the what i found was that to me it seems a little bit like christian fan fiction there's a verse i forget where it is i think it might be in luke where it's it's the lazarus and the rich man and the the sort of lazarus sort of eats the scraps from his table the rich man lives lives well they both die uh the rich man goes to hades i think it is and the uh and lazarus goes to be in the arms of abraham i think is the way it's phrased and there's the the bit where the rich man says Please Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and put it in my mouth to, and to just just take the edge off my suffering. And Abraham says no, and he says, well, could you t- send Lazarus back to tell my brothers and sisters, uh, the of what's coming? And Abraham says no, they've got Moses and the prophets, and if they won't listen to them, then they're not going to listen to the dead. I th- I'm sure at some point Charles Dickens must have read that and went. Yeah, but what if they could though? Because it's the starting point for this story is all about what if you could have somebody come back from the dead and change and try to change somebody's conscience. Um Dickens used to write everything as serialized. This is one of the few that all came out as one piece. It was he wrote it in six weeks. Chicks, you've written more books at the moment. How long, How many of them took you about six weeks from start to finish?
1: Uh, it took me a lot longer than that. I'm a very slow <laughs> writer. But you know what? Even I am not arrogant enough to compare myself to Charles Dickens.
0: <laughs> fair play, fair play. And um, and it's it, it's just fascinating to to look at it because he's taking these characters and just i love looking at things and seeing that the that the bible is the jumping off point in there you know i find that absolutely fascinating and obviously the other thing we looked at is that is that i think charles dickens's faith has probably impacted the way western people see christmas more than any other person i can think of obviously dickens his feeling was let's not get too bogged down in the theology and the doctrine and let's focus on being good to people and and helping those in need, which is absolutely fantastic until you take it two or three more steps further when it becomes let's completely ignore the doctrine and theology and let's just be good to people for a few weeks a year and that will take the edge off our conscience. So it's, it's really fascinating the way that that one book has impacted, I don't know, every every single aspect of uh, Western Christianity since then.
1: But yeah, I mean, that's uh, fascinating reflections. But you could have looked at them. I mean, there must be a dozen movies on on Christmas Carol. <laughs> what was the attraction about the Muppet Christmas Carol?
0: Because the Muppets Christmas Carol is the best one, chick. I will brook no discussion on this point. Sure, there is like you, there's some that have Patrick Stewart, and that's great. And there's some amazing Jim Carrey ones. And there's ones that go back throughout pretty much the entire history of cinema. Yeah. But only one of them has Gonzo in it, and that's the thing we need to focus on at this point. I feel. You know? well,
1: they, you, you've settled. <laughs> you've settled the argument once for all. No. <laughs> Let's look at a very different film, The Mm -hmm. Exorcist, which for a lot of Christians would be a real no-no area. Mm. How did did you deal with that? What what, what did you bring out of that?
0: So what that came from, we originally started doing series that were about sort of 10 episodes long. And we started, both myself and Phil started it in the pandemic because we're absolute cliches. You know, if we're stuck at home, we can't make any films. Well, let's make a podcast about films instead. And then uh, I became a dad and uh phil became a dad uh, about six months later and all of a sudden the ability to rush out like a, a whole series of, of podcast episodes became very difficult so i narrowed it down to like a little sort of specials a special series of just maybe five episodes i like to produce stuff that's really good quality even if it's even if there's not that much of it and the the horror one that w- had got into my head because Midnight Mass had come out on Netflix. Have you have you seen that yet?
1: I haven't seen it. I'm I'm really not a horror film guy, but I'm oh, willing if, to learn.
0: If you want to start anywhere with horror. Start with uh, Midnight Mass on Netflix because what it has to say about faith and it, it uh, and um, belief is absolutely fascinating. So I built a series around that and we started with the, the Exorcist. And one of the trickiest things, and you might relate to this, is being able to find guests for shows. Trying to find people who can talk about it interestingly and coherently and give you a real jumping off point or a different perspective to look at.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you you can tell how hard it is to find guests when I when we end up inviting you, Joe's. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That was Chick. unworthy of me, and I ask your forgiveness.
0: Not at all, Chick. I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, Flippin' <laughs> he's really scraping the barrel now. Good <laughs> Lord. He must be getting splinters under his fingernails. But okay, I've got this one opportunity, and I'm going to go for it. So I was really struggling to find a guest for the Exorcist episode. We were going to have a, someone come on and talk about the film, but they dropped out. And then my boss said to me, um my father-in-law performs exorcism for the diocese of guildford would that be interesting to you (laughs) and then i was like uh yes that's fascinating and that completely changed the course of the way the episode went because when we start talking about spiritual warfare that's not really a topic that's been in vogue with mainstream christianity or at least the the sort of british c of e kind of christianity and it's one of those areas where put bluntly the rubber really meets the road there's no other way you can look at it so we spoke to uh reverend tim hillier and he talked to us all about uh the way how he got into uh performing exorcisms part of deliverance ministry and it was absolutely fascinating because you're, you you're you're looking for red flags you're looking for like okay is there any what's the potential for for spiritual abuse here how how badly could this go and then he says well we have our medical professionals and i speak to a psychiatrist uh, and uh, that we have on staff and then when we've come to a conclusion most and he says that exorcisms are incredibly rare he's been doing the job for 8 years and he's had one exorcism that he's he's dealt with and the rest of it has just been about deliverance from oppression he was absolutely fascinating to speak to and it really sort of for my my co-host phil it really blew him out of the water absolutely just hearing from a a real life exorcist so i'm I'm
1: thinking i'm thinking to the even for you know for many christians it's a kind of sensational thing and to have somebody speak about that you know down to earth in the best sense mm. common sense view and and bringing in other disciplines uh, that that, that's a real uh, that's a real contribution 100%
0: 100% it made me feel like if you are going to have somebody doing exorcisms Tim Hillier is exactly the kind of person you want them to, to be doing it. A very sort of sober very well put together person who, who is it's exorcism is one of the areas in faith Where doubt has to be the de facto If somebody says to me to you I think I'm possessed Your answer is more likely to be are you though are you sure? And just going, and working through that—it's—it's it's honest. It's strange taking a, a, a more sort of scientific approach to something that's so faith-based. Does that make sense?
1: It makes a whole lot of sense. And you're mm. right. I think that, you know, in any somebody saying I'm possessed, I think your first thing is to ask some very hard questions. And it's great to hear that in in that, uh, you know, Anglican circle, that kind of approach is, is being used. Giles, the clock is ticking far mm-hmm. faster than I wish it would. It always happens when you're having a really interesting conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to uh, switch tack just a little. How do you think the church and, you know, in in the context of all your reflections about engaging with popular culture, how can the church remain authentically Christian and still culturally relevant?
0: Do you know what? When you asked me that question, I thought, good Lord, that is far above my pay grade, but I will have my best go at it as as much as I can. The thing that comes back to me was a a quote from, from Tim Keller. He was, a, he was a guest on their Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. And he talked about not being needlessly culturally alien. So let's take your example that you were talking about being that little boy who says, I cannot go to the pictures. I'm a Christian. We don't do that. Now, on the one hand, that is a fantastic example of standing up for your faith in a mainstream context. And that is great. However, most little boys, I would wager, probably don't end up growing up to be like you, Chick, where you're a a Christian and a a minister and and all these sorts of things. And for most of them, that barrier will become insurmountable. I can't go to the pictures because I'm a Christian. And then I can't do that. And I can't watch TV because I'm a Christian and I can't read books. And that will break them in some cases. So my feeling is that being a Christian is hard enough as it is. We've all got our own particular challenges on this point. Why make it any more difficult than it needs to be? Um, young people and well, everybody is absolutely saturated with messages that we get from popular culture. You can't walk down the street without seeing an advert for a bus or advert on a bus for some film or other. So why just pretend it doesn't exist why not just sort of lean into it and say that you can engage with this and you can engage with this from a god angle because to me that is much richer and it means that people are less likely to think of christianity as something that they have to in terms of things they have to give up does that make sense
1: it makes a whole lot of sense. You know, Joe's, we're going to have to stop there because we've got a few extra things to fit into the show this hour. Uh, but you're going to make me a promise that you're going to come back on again and we're going to talk some more about these things. Have I got your
0: promise? 100% Chick, I would absolutely love to do that. Thank you so much for having me on today. Then
1: with a big word of thanks, I'm willing to let you go.